Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-616-4080. That's 800-616-4080. 800-616-4080. This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. It was just earlier this year that mixed martial arts was finally passed in the state of New York. And while we are less than two weeks away from UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden, there is still a ton of issues going on. Welcome into the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. Joining me this week is, do we just call you the OG of reporting on MMA uh, journalism there in New York, Jim? You can, you can call it whatever you want. Yeah, of course, that is Jim, uh, Jinya, Jim. Uh, I appreciate the time. You, you have been the guy that you were. You have been on this beat. Uh, I guess uh, before the, the the young kids would say it was cool to be on, on the beat of of New York MMA because obviously over the, the past couple of years a, a lot of people have gotten involved in this. And when you go back to March and you think about that crazy day when you know just some unbelievable things were said there. Uh, on the assembly floor, did did you think that story was over? Did you kind of realize, like, man, this this is, this story is far from over? I felt that phase one of the story was over. I knew that there would be like even more issues arising uh, because New York had finally legalized the sport. You know, and, and of course, uh, you know, you you are uh, along with being an MMA journalist. You, you also uh, wrote a book on there. But well, first off, let, let everyone know where they can, if they haven't read your book, where they can get your book at. Barnes and Noble, uh, Amazon. The book is Raw Combat: The Underground World of Mixed Martial Arts, and it was a up close and personal look at the underground fight scene in New York City. I mean, and I remember, um, you know, seeing uh, the Access TV uh, when on Inside of May when that show was around, and they they did a spot on the underground scene, just a, a crazy scene, and you know, and, and maybe for a, a lot of newer fans to the sport of mixed martial arts, they they may not realize that there's some notable fighters that have gone through that underground scene. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for the longest time, New York, you know, didn't legalize mixed martial arts. But there are still people that wanted to compete and wanted to watch the, the fights. So we had fighters like Frankie Edgar. Uh, he had his first fight in an underground show in the Bronx. Uh, we had Ryan LaFlair have his first fight as a, at a show in Queens. Uh, so many fighters that went on to fight, you know, in ring combat and in regional level promotions. Um, you know, I mean, 
it was it, it was New York. They wanted to do this. They had to do this, so they did it. You know, and you know, while you know, there's a lot of uh, publicity on, on MMA. I think maybe one of the most untold stories of what is going on in New York State has to do with boxing and the fact of boxing cards are now going out of state, which, and it's all due to this insurance policy. I remember when this came in, everyone immediately looked at this and said, how is these events going to happen? And while there was so much news stories about MMA, people kind of forgot about the boxing angle, which I I know there's been some stories here written written recently, but you know, you, you look at the way that bill is written and, and who knows whether, you know, some things are going to change. I mean, I initially heard that maybe there was going to be a loophole in terms of this insurance. I mean, just for UFC 205, the UFC is going to have to pay $1,675 per fighter for this uh, traumatic brain injury insurance provision that is in the bill, 43550 And that does not include the typical insurance. And when you look at uh, this UFC fight card, which is 13 fights, so 26 fighters, you know, that's a, a typical fight card for any regional show. When you look at that figure in, in, in my conversation, I know you've had a lot of conversations with regional promoters. You tell them they got to shell out over $40,000, you know, in this insurance, they're going to sit there and go, I'm not doing a show in New York. Yeah, it's a real it's a real blow to uh, the regional MMA promoters and especially to all the boxing promoters. New York had New York had a pretty vibrant boxing scene uh, up until when this new law was uh, put into place on September 1st. And that million dollar insurance policy that's required for brain injury coverage. I mean, that really, really killed a lot of these events. But one thing that I think is really telling that no one's kind of keyed on is that uh, this this law went into effect on September 1st, and there were boxing shows scheduled, pro boxing shows scheduled. Um, they had to cancel these pro boxing shows because the Athletic Commission had not yet uh, approved any insurance policy uh, you know, for this coverage. The, the timeline, the deadline for the Athletic Commission, for them, was you know, this UFC in November, event and you know all the boxing shows be damned so that really you know shows kind of where you know the priorities are for the athletic commission in regards to you know keeping you know what events alive what what aspects of sport alive clearly the ufc you know was the most important thing in their eyes forget all these boxing events that had to be canceled yeah, I mean, I know there's there's two uh, events that were supposed to have in the Barclays Center in December that have moved out, and it, it's all related to this insurance policy. I mean, you know, I think when when people thought about uh, MMA coming into a state of New York, you, you start thinking about some of those promotions that have done a lot of shows, uh, you know, in Atlantic City. You think of uh, the CFFCs and uh, the Ring of Combats, and now you you look at Alliance MMA. What's going on there? You know those would be uh, promotions. You would say, "Oh man, they're clearly going to do a show in New York." But if I'm running a show in, and I'm like, "Okay, I want to do a show in New York. Maybe I've got a bunch of fighters under under contract for my promotion." that are from New York or or live in New York, I'd want to do a show there. But then when I look at this insurance, I go, how do you turn a profit? And that is the problem that I think a lot of non-UFC, non-Bellator promotions, I mean, even if you're, you know, say the PBC in the boxing world or your top rank, 
do they even want to go into New York with with these new provisions? Yeah, uh, no, it's suddenly way too economically unfeasible for these regional level promotions and these boxing promotions to run shows in New York. It just costs way too much. And you have to understand these boxing people for years, they existed under um, you know, a legal regime, a statutory regime that was very favorable to them. So it's a shock to them, especially. I mean, regional MMA promotions like Rare Combat and Case Fury, they never really had the, the, the experience of promoting a show in New York. But these boxing promoters, I mean, they're used to New York, and now it's suddenly taken away from them. Yeah. So that's kicked up a lot of dirt. I remember when this bill was passed and talking to the various people in the industry I talked to, the the growing sentiment was, man, this is going to kill New Jersey. They're going to lose a lot of shows. But then as time is going on and with this insurance policy, I'm sitting there going, New Jersey may be the benefactor of this, but also I kind of, knowing what we know now and, and what these insurance policies are, could there have been some people in the assembly that maybe this was almost a poison pill they put into this bill? No, uh, I had, uh, I was lucky enough to have a, a good bit of insight into the legislative process. And I'm fairly certain that this whole thing, uh, this million dollar policy thing was inserted uh, to protect the state, to, to uh, indemnify the state for any future issues on uh, you have to understand that there was a Russian boxer who uh, suffered some serious brain damage at an event at Madison Square Garden, and the responsibility for it fell squarely on the shoulders of the Athletic Commission. This was a couple of years ago, and there was a big uh, lawsuit as a result. There was a uh, Inspector General uh, investigation. There was New York Times coverage. Uh, so it was a big uh, explosion uh, in the face of you know the uh, Athletic Commission, Department of State. Uh, and the governor's office had to do a shakeup. So this thing, this uh, million-dollar policy, was you know inserted into the bill, into the into the uh, statute, because of that boxing uh, debacle with the athletic commission. Because you know if if it happens again, God forbid it happens again, at least now there'll be a million-dollar policy to cover you know the fighter who who was injured. You know, and, you know, while there's a lot of attention on the UFC event in, you know, coming up next Saturday at Madison Square Garden, the UFC does have a show in December. And, and if you were wondering how much it's going to be uh, insurance costs for the fighters for this insurance premium, that'll be $40,200. And that's for a, a fight night card on Fight Pass. Um, you know, obviously the UFC, they, they have the, the resources to uh, afford those shows. And, you know, for, you know, the, you know, we got a question uh, from one of my, my listeners uh, at MMA underscore nostalgia 47 asking, does it make sense for financially make sense for nine UFC promotions to go to New York, especially if they go to smaller venues like the theater? Um, you know, I think outside of, of the UFC and Bellator financially, I don't know how you make it, how you make it work. I mean, unless you have some a, a financial backer that's going to put a lot of money uh, into it. I don't, I don't see how it works, but you know, one of the things about the insurance policy and, and you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, but one of the things that I had heard that the New York athletic commission was having a, a really hard time finding an underwriter for this policy for a while. Yeah. Um, it took them a while. It ended up, I think they got two policies submitted. They ended up approving the one by AIG and I think that part of that blame can be 
you know, put on the shoulders of the athletic commission for, for dragging their feet. Um, it, it's, it's neat. The whole situation in New York, when it comes to the athletic commission, the department of state, uh, you know, the, the boxing promoters, uh, p- potential investigations, uh, by the FBI, you know, looking into seeing whether there was impropriety with, uh, the, the athletic commission and the department of state and how they handled the, that boxing, uh, situation with the Russian boxer. All those factors contribute to, you know, a weird mess where it takes a long time for the insurance policy to get, uh, approved and it takes, a long time for the athletic commission to, you know, sign off on uh, MMA promoters, you know, allowing them to do shows. It, it's just a weird, you know, cauldron of all these factors stewing together and, and just creating something, you know, messy. Uh, you know, I'm kind of interested to, you know, to, to talk these fighters after the event. And, and, and who is the first fire, fighter that files an insurance claim to see what that's going to be like? That may, that may be one of the, the biggest stories to follow following UFC 205. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully it never has to get filed. It's we're talking a brain injury uh, claim resulting from directly resulting from a fight, and the claim must be filed within 48 hours of the event. So hopefully there is no fighter that ever has to, you know, file that claim because, you know, he's he's injured. <laughs> he's got a, a, a traumatic brain injury. You, you know, when, when you talk about and the question about other, you know. MMA promotions going to non, you know, going to venues in New York State. Obviously, the World Series of Fighting is going to the theater, Madison Square Garden, on on December the thirty first. There's a there's a lot of people in the industry that definitely question whether that event actually will end up taking place. Uh, you know, when when you look at previous disclosed salaries of some of the fires on those cards, that you know their show purses are are in the six figures. Um, you know, it's not a, to me, it's not a question of if it's just a matter of how much money they will lose by the time they're, they're done with that card. It's scheduled to be a, a 11 fight card and being on new year's Eve, I don't understand the thought process of why you go to New York city on new year's Eve. I, I just, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare because it, it just thinking about it is, just the fans that want to attend that event, what's it going to be like trying to get out of that area if you don't want to partake in all the festivities of that night? Yeah, that World Series of Fighting event is, well, you know, if, if we want to deduce, you know, why it's happening, that's a tough nut to crack. Of course, we don't know all the moving parts. We don't know if, you know, Madison Square Garden is, you know, paying the site fee. Uh, we don't know if NBC is footing the bill, so they have content, uh, you know, for New Year's Eve. We don't know what kind of sponsors they have, but at face value, it, you you, you got to wonder why they're doing such a risky show, uh, you know, in a, in a place where no one's going to care about mixed martial arts on that day. People are going to care about getting, you know, alcohol and wasted and <laughs> going nuts in the street. And I know as a New Yorker, I've been there. I've got the scars to prove it. Uh, it it's MMA is the last thing on people's minds on New Year's Eve in, in Manhattan. So, so as somebody who lives down here in Florida, you being a New Yorker, how many times did you do the uh, Times Square? I never, ever watched the ball drop because to do so, you have to go uh, like eight hours, six hours in advance, and you're penned in. 
You oh, can't no, leave. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, and it's cold. <laughs> New York gets cold on New Year's Eve. I don't have to worry uh, about that here in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this my is, uh, 70 degrees in, in, uh, in uh, December. Yeah, it's, it's a different beast entirely. So really, the only people that, that go to these New Year's Eve ball drops in Times Square are out-of-towners and crazy folk. And and I was neither. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things of you think just the fighters, you know, depending on where that, you know, I mean, that's going to be the other thing is how expensive are hotels for the World Series of Fighting uh, to put put all these fighters in because you know those hotels in New York City aren't cheap on, you know, for that weekend. Oh yeah, well they're going to have to stay in New Jersey. I mean, it's no ifs ands or buts. They're going to get they're going to take a train in. Oh, uh, I, 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 last time I, I did a game up in uh, up in in New York, I ended up staying in New Jersey, and we we decided to, to come to uh, come to uh, New York City on Saturday night, and uh, we hung out a little too late, and uh, the train stopped service, and so uh, we had to get a very expensive uh, taxi ride back to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it goes. You live in New Jersey and Long Island, you you can. You can only stay in the city for a certain amount of time. Yeah, or and else you're we, and, sleeping at the bus station. Yeah, so uh, it was like, well, I guess we're uh, we're poning. I, th- I think it was like a hundred dollars. It ended up costing us to get back to Jersey. I mean, it was like, well, got to get back to the hotel, got to get some sleep before I work tomorrow. So, um, you know, there, there's so many I think logistical nightmares uh, for the World Series of Fighting, and, and you know, and who knows, you know, I know NBC pays production costs. Um, for their shows, which, you know, that's part of, you know, an issue of doing a New Year's Eve show is, uh, you know, some of your best, um, you know, video people that shoot sports, they're probably already booked for whether it's a college football bowl game, the the semifinals of the college playoff start that day. At, yeah, World Series of Fighting will be going up against the game one of the college football semifinal game. Take that one in. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you know, I always say this, you got to have a television partner that's going to put you in, in the right place to succeed. And I just feel like NBC has never put the world series of fighting in a place to succeed. Right. Well, you know, some executive in some boardroom somewhere said, Hey, why don't we do this? And so they're doing it. Oh yeah. It's uh, I mean, <laughs> I feel bad for who's the media members that go to cover that event. And then they're just stuck in times square. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that's going to be you know, but we'll we'll see what happens uh, in terms of that. Of course, you, know, you mentioned a little earlier you have covered uh, the underground scene, and one of the questions that we got was uh, around Victory Combat Sports and Kevin Illis, and saying, "Is there anything going on with that? Is it something where maybe they're just kind of figuring out what they're going to do now that uh, MMA is legal?" Well, I haven't talked to Kevin since. Uh, that last show he did at Madison Square Garden, it was uh, MMA fights. It was the first uh, amateur MMA fights at, at, at Madison Square Garden. It took place in the theater. Uh, but I know that a lot of promoters in New York, these amateur promoters, they had you know, designs on turning uh, their events pro and you know, to take advantage of, of the new emerging market in New York. But this insurance policy thing really came out of left field and and radically change people's plans overnight. You know, with, with everything that's going with the insurance, do you think that, you know, sometime 2017, we're going to see some type of legislation that's going to kind of change this uh, insurance premium? I can say uh, with 100% certainty, because I've been following this 
sport in New York since, you know, the 90s, because, you know, I lived in it. Uh, I can say that the uh, Athletic Commission and the Department of State's interpretation of the law will change with each uh, new regime. And the regimes do change. I mean, throughout the years, we've had to deal with an athletic commission that at first only, you know, banned the UFC from holding events. Lou Neglia, who, who's the promoter behind Rare Combat, he could have MMA bouts on his uh, his kickboxing cards. So that's where he had Matt Sarah fight and Phil Baroni, Pete Sell. And the athletic commission didn't care. The athletic commission would sit in the first row as, as VIP guests. But then... You know, the regime changed and then they actively shut down every show they could. So then they had underground shows and then the regime changed again and they had all these amateur shows, all these people saying amateur shows are okay. So I think just give it some time. And, you know, these boxing promoters, uh, these regional MMA promoters, they might find that the Athletic Commission and the Department of State's interpretation of this insurance law and, and what loopholes may or may not exist, it will change. I'd say I'd it's be, just issue of time. I'd be interested to see what politicians are in attendance next Saturday night. Oh, it's it's going to be a who's who. You have to remember this is this is WME running the show now, so we're gonna we're gonna probably see you know a little more than David Spade in the audience. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna see you know different kinds of celebrities and probably uh, in, in terms of sponsors and in terms of politicians we're just going to see a lot of different people uh, are you saying that uh you, you're not looking forward to all the uh the tweets of uh b-lift celebrities i have no clue who they are <laughs> that's why I sometimes just, I, I, I feel old watching ufc events when they put these tweets up and i'm, I'm having to google their names to figure out who they are right right it, yeah it, well, if that's somebody, what happens when you get old. If somebody who's been in sports media for 15 years has to Google a celebrity when you're putting them up on a uh, sports broadcast, that's not a good celebrity to put a tweet up of. Yeah. I mean, it's... Exactly. But, you know, with WME, obviously, the game the game has changed a lot. You know, it's you know kind of... It's one of these things that uh, now I'm trying to figure out, say, okay... So who's left in the UFC PR department? Who who am I contacting when I have a question? You know, Dave Schaller's leaving uh, after UFC 205, uh, going to work for uh, the 76ers, and uh, and you know it's 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 a we it's a weird time for the UFC just because of, of all the changes that are happening, and I, I don't blame WME for what they're doing. I mean, anytime someone comes in and and buys a company, they're they're going to do what they want to do. They're they're going to put their own people in. I I. I probably more than anything else, I just feel for some of the long-term UFC employees because, you know, I, I've been in that situation when uh, I worked for Clear Channel, which is now known as iHeartMedia, when it got sold off, and I went through two two separate rounds of layoffs. It, it sucks because you, you ultimately you see people that you've been with for a long time that, that lose their job. And, and I probably, I just, I feel more from them. I mean, we saw it happen with Bellator a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, when Scott Coker came in and he, he got rid of the people he didn't want around and he brought in his own people, you people that uh, from the media side that we deal with on a constant basis. Now they're not with the company anymore. Yeah. Well, when the Zufa bought the UFC from SEG, I mean, we lost, uh, Lisa Faircloth, we lost Keith Evans, we lost a lot of people. And before even Zufa like settled on the staff that they had at the end of their 
uh, rain. Like they had a lot of staff come in and out. Joe so Silva it's, was it's, uh, the last remaining guy. Yeah. Yep. But you're right. It's the nature of the beast. Whenever there's, you know, a, a, a corporate buyout. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, Joe Silva who didn't even live in Las Vegas. That, that was kind of one of the things that people didn't realize. He, he lived in, in Virginia, you know, one of the, the UFC employees that was not based in, in Las Vegas. It's, it's very interesting, but I mean, when you look at the UFC 205 card, it's completely stacked top to bottom. But everything uh, is about Conor McGregor, and I know Paul Giff had a thing about this, and I want to mention this because we do talk a lot about uh, the business side of MMA, and I know there's there's bar managers, people working bars and restaurants that listen to this podcast. If you are going to get this pay-per-view and you do not get the pay-per-view through Johan Promotions, you are asking to be sued. Let me just say that again. If you're getting this pay-per-view, you better get through Johan Promotions or you're going to get sued on, on this one. Um, and, and look, and it, with it being a Conor McGregor pay-per-view, a lot of people are going to be going to be watching. But but top to bottom, I mean, this is one of these these fight cards that you really want to be watching from the first fight on. I mean, I can almost give you a pass to say that maybe you don't want to watch the fight past prelims. But from the televised prelims to the main card, it's, it's like, good Lord, get your popcorn out. Yeah, it's a fantastic card. I feel, I feel good that they they put their best foot forward for their their first Madison Square Garden show. It fills me with pride. I mean, obviously, you look at the main event. Um, you know, you look at the the title fights that are on this card. Um, you, you look at you know uh, Rashad Evans and, and Tim Kennedy, which is on the prelims. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Michael Johnson on the prelims as well. A great matchup. But I, I'm really glad to see that. Guys like Chris Weidman and Frankie Yeager would put on this card because you know this very well. Those were, and especially Chris Weidman, was used so much to lobby for the legalization of MMA in Albany. Yeah. Yeah, the, the UFC had a, a quite a, a good number of fighters come out and, and do the, you know, Albany, uh, you know, handshaking thing. Uh, so it's good that Weidman is getting his, you know, his day in the sun. You know, all the fighters, they, they called so many fighters up to Albany, um, and they all deserve, you know, a lot of credit. Uh, Liz Carmouche was there, Travis Brown, like so many fighters. And they did a great job, uh, obviously, because they won over, you know, the hearts and minds of, of some key legislators. They all deserve, you know, a big pat on the back. But, of course, Chris Weidman for sure. There's still a part of me that I, I guess, and it, and it was for such a long time. I just thought this day would never happen. You know, it always, and obviously there was various issues of why this did not happen. And obviously, uh, Sheldon Silver was um, the main reason why a lot of this had not happened. But it, it's, it, it's obviously, it's going to be a celebration uh, of the sport coming up next Saturday night, and, and it's going to be a great fight card. I'll be. I'll be watching the, the fights with a couple of buddies of mine, just kind of sitting back and, you know, probably, you know, enjoying a cocktail or two and, and watching these fights. Uh, for you, how, how will you enjoy these fights? I'll be there. I'll be, I'm credentialed. I'll be there uh, probably, you know, once the first fight happens, I'll be weeping like a baby. Uh, but I'll be there covering it. I'd, I'd say it, it would be interesting to me to find out the different outlets that are there covering it because it's not your typical UFC event. It's a, it's a special event. So I got, you know, I have to imagine that there's going to be a lot of outlets there that you would never see covering an MMA event. 
Yeah, it's going to be a huge mainstream media presence. I mean, it's a huge show. It's an important show. It's in New York, its place, you know, in the media universe it can't be understated. So we're going to see. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Home and Garden is credentialed and <laughs> Cat Fancy. Uh, we'll see it. We'll see them all there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it'll, it'll be a who's who. But, of course, you are listening to the MMA Insiders Podcast right here on RadioInfluence.com. This podcast is brought to you by Fight TV. Fight is the go-to app for MMA fans and practitioners. Live pay-per-views and TV tapings, full-length matches and interviews, movies and documentaries. It's your number one source for MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling video. Get a front-row seat to live wrestling, MMA, and boxing anytime any place, get fight free and see what's streaming now for you. Watch MMA, wrestling, and boxing live on the choice of your on the screen of your choice, phone, tablet, or TV using just the Fight app. Download Fight Free or go to fightfite.tv forward slash radio influence forward slash to download the app today. And of course, uh, if you're looking all types of uh, stuff that is available there on Fight TV. And if you're outside of uh, the United States, World Series of Fighting is actually available on Fight TV as well as a very, uh, very, uh, very cheap price to watch World Series of Fighting. Uh, if you are not in the United States and or Canada, Fight TV is definitely the way to go. Uh, you know, we mentioned about some of the changes that have happened with the UFC over the past couple of months, and uh, Chris Kirk asked this question saying, do the recent cuts in the UFC international office signal a new era of cost-cutting and withdrawal from international markets? And, uh, you know, Chris, the, the simple answer to your question is, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to cut down on international shows. I'm hearing somewhere 32 to 35 shows is, is likely what you're going to see in 2017. And I've talked about this, uh, Jim, on, on this podcast the UFC reducing shows, you know, as as a fight fan who wants to see um, deeper cards, cards that I sit there and say, all right, I, I got to tune in for the TV prelims, not just the main card. I think it's great, but I also believe that it's actually going to hurt fighters uh, because on the regional scene, I, I just think that there's going to be promoters out there going to know there's going to be a lot of fighters looking for fights, and I, I don't think it's going to be a, a very good market to go out for these fighters to make decent money in the regional scene, which we both know money in the regional scene is not great anyway. Yeah. Money in the regional scene has traditionally been driven by, you know, ticket sales like fighters with a local following get a cut of the tickets. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's sometimes I hear numbers of, of what fighters on the regional scene are asking for. And and sometimes you you go, there's no way you're going to get that money. You know, I mean, if if someone's willing to offer you four thousand a show and four thousand wins a headliner, you should take it, because I mean that's you know unless you're a huge ticket seller. Now, if you're a huge ticket seller, um, you know guys can make a lot of money, and there's you know various parts of the country where, um, you know, just based on conversation I've had with promoters, you know, they're local ticket sellers. You know, I, you know, I think in in the state of New York, uh, Andre Harrison, who's no longer under contract with Titan FC, he's actually going to be fighting. Uh, Julian Lane uh, on a Ring of Combat show coming up later on this month. And, of course, everyone remembers Julian Lane from his time on the Ultimate Fire. But I look at a guy like Andre Harrison, uh, a New York fighter, where if there wasn't this you know high insurance premiums out there, to me he would be a guy that could make a really good 
uh, payday on, on the regional scene in hopes that he could potentially, you know, get an offer from the UFC. Yeah, but uh, one thing about you know uh, those New York guys is they've established themselves over the years uh, with Ring of Combat in Atlantic City, so it's it's not a bad deal for a lot of them to go back down to Ring of Combat or to you know lateral jump to Ring of Combat, and you know the promoter Lou Negla will will give them a good deal. Uh, like I said, he a lot of these guys are big ticket sellers. You know that's that's their bread and butter. And so it's worthwhile for some of these guys, uh, even though they live in New York, to to make that leap to Ring of Combat or to Cage Fury um, because they're so established. I mean, Anja Harrison, he was Belmore Kickboxing. You know, the, they've been a, a part of you know the Ring of Combat and and you know the Cage Fury uh, promotions for for years and years. Uh, same with you know all Matt Sarah's guys, Ray Longo's guys. Tiger Shulman crew, so they're maybe they're they're not that much hurt by you know the the uh, New York insurance being so expensive for local promoters because they've already established themselves in New Jersey. But if you if you're like you know a local New Yorker coming up and you don't have that already in place, you know with with your fans willing to go down to New Jersey for every fight, then you're in trouble. I tell you, I covered a couple of uh, Bellator shows up in Atlantic City. You got to make sure where you're driving in Atlantic City because you you can end up in a very, a very bad section of town if you take the wrong turn there. I know I I did a couple of shows up at Revel, which was a, a beautiful casino, but uh, obviously that that casino did not last. I know that uh, the Baraga still got you know they're still doing shows up there, but man, it just seems like that that Atlantic Jersey. Uh, Lake City, uh, M. Mason is just not what it once was. Yeah, I actually covered uh, the New Jersey scene, especially Atlantic City, for a decade. I, I was, you know, once every couple months going down to Atlantic City for these shows. And Atlantic City itself, I mean, when I first started going, uh, like let's say 2003, 2004, I mean, it was it was a demilitarized zone. But then it got really built up. They built, you know, a retail area. They put a lot of money into it, and it got it got kind of nice, but then now the casinos are failing, so it's 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 tough. There's parts of Atlantic City you, you don't want to be in when the sun goes down. I think, you know, like the chud, the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers come out and, and eat you. Yeah, I just remember I would I would literally just go to Revel and I didn't leave. I mean, that's pretty much. I mean, Revel. Yeah, I don't know if you ever went to Revel. It was a beautiful yeah. place, but obviously they, whoever decided to to architect that building the way they did just we're not thinking and uh you know it was a nice i tell you it was it was a really nice venue for mma shows so it wasn't it wasn't a huge venue but it was a a really nice venue uh to see shows there and uh you know bellator hasn't gone back to atlantic city since uh it's probably been about three years now since they've been there and uh it's it's unfortunate to, to see what what has happened there uh, next up, Scott asks us, uh, next three weeks feature three fights that could determine the next next lightweight matchup. Who will it be? Of course, we all know the main event, Con- Connor and Eddie. Um, in terms of Connor and Eddie, my gut says Eddie Alvarez, but, man, my brain is telling me to pick Connor McGregor. Are you, are you asking for a prediction? Yeah. What, 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 you know, what's your gut say on that fight? I. I just to be clear, I was there for Eddie Alvarez's first fight 
uh, and his career as when he was fighting in the local scene in New Jersey. So I, I have, you know, I, I love Eddie and uh, I favor him. You put that putting that love aside. I favor him because he's naturally a bigger guy. I mean, he he used to fight at welterweight. Yeah. And he's got a lot of power and he's got a lot of uh, grit. Like you saw with it, with those absolute wars he had with Mike Chandler and Bellator, that he's got so much grit. Uh, so I think these are really tough. This is a really tough fight for McGregor, uh, and I see I see Eddie beating him, you know, in 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 a few different ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my concern with Eddie in that fight is if he gets into a firefight. You know, it, you know, I think he's got to be the the complete mixed martial artist. He just can't sit, you know, try to have a. Uh, essentially a, what I would call a kickboxing matchup in, in an MMA cage. He, he's got to be the complete mixed martial arts. He, he's got to, you know, look for the takedowns when they're there, uh, get Connor on his back. I think if, if this ends up being a kickboxing matchup, I, I favor Connor McGregor more. Okay. I could see that. It, it's just because I, you know, it, it's one of those things of, and, and this is just fires in general. You, you wonder when they've been in those wars, prolonged wars throughout their career at what point is the downside coming and and there's part of me that that wonders about that with eddie alvarez right right now i i i can see that but he thus far in the ufc he's had he had a, a real tough fight against uh don cerrone he had you know fights against uh, gilbert melendez and um anthony pettis and he he's his his ass has been in the fire in, in the octagon, and he still hasn't really wilted. Uh, and then, of course, we saw him, you know, really really rise to the occasion against Rafael dos Anjos. So I don't know if his time is up yet in terms of chin, in terms of mileage, in terms of wear and tear. I think we still got some some good solid Eddie left. Yeah, I mean, I think when when he fought dos Anjos, I think everyone was rooting for Eddie Alvarez just because this is a guy that you know the underground king, you know what he had done. Um, you know, obviously RDA's got a fight coming up this week against Tony Ferguson. Kind of interesting the fact that he's left Kings MMA. Uh, you've got Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, taking on Michael Johnson. I like Khabib Nurmagomedov in that fight. Uh, you also got um, uh, who else am I missing there? It's a big lightweight fight. It's a, I'm trying to think of the third one off the top of my head. It's just I have a little brain freeze there, but I, I think most likely Khabib Nurmagomedov would be next. Um, you know, for uh, the winner of Alvarez and McGregor, I mean, obviously Nurmagomedov has been very vocal. Um, I, I think he he should probably watch what he says because I, I could see maybe WME using those words against him, and maybe they go with the the winner of RDA and Ferguson, which is a great fight. I I think that both the Bellator and the UFC shows are, are solid this weekend. Um, Lee McGarry, Phil Davis, I think is the best fight Bellator can put on. I mean, obviously Benson Henderson, Michael Chandler is a great fight too. Um, RDA Ferguson, uh, interesting to see Marcin Hell's UFC debut coming up this weekend, uh, against Diego Sanchez. So, so looking forward to, uh, to, to those matchups coming up here. Uh, you know, getting back to New York, cause one of the questions we got, and, and I can talk about it generally speaking, but got this question asked from Joe Daddy, uh, asking why are salaries and drug tests private in some states and public in others? Um, and, and this goes into medical records and HIPAA laws. Um, you know, typically when you put in a request with a commission, generally they will tell you whether it's private or public record. However, I had a nice interaction with the Tennessee Athletic Commission, who 
Uh, no one can really tell me who's actually running that commission. As uh, I ended up uh, going through kind of you know various people this week, and then I had to email this person, and they end up sending me a, a public request form, and you know fill it out, you know say what I, what I'm I'm seeking, which was uh, this was in relation to uh, the Bellator event in Memphis last month, and you know just the, the usual medical suspension, fighter salaries, uh, and drug test results, and one of their attorneys ends up you know putting together this letter for me. And, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, and they're basically telling me because I'm an out-of-state resident that I can't get this information. And I'm just like, okay, something's wrong here. So I respond to the guy. I go, let me get this straight. You're telling me I'm an out-of-state out resident that I can't get medical suspensions, but you have them for previous events on your website. And, of course, then all of a sudden, oh, well, it's drug test results are private record, which the one of the things I hate about when they tell me drug test results are private record is, so are you telling me you just didn't do any drug tests? Is that what you just want to tell me? You just, you just don't want to, you don't want to admit it, but usually when it comes to drug test results, it has to do with HIPAA laws and medical records. Uh, I've never done, I've never put in any requests, obviously, because MMA's not been legal in, in, uh, in, in the state of New York. Do you know the rules in the state of New York when it comes to that stuff? Um, yeah, they're pretty, pretty standard. New York's not the only, uh, jurisdiction out there that keeps you know some of these things secret. I mean, New Jersey doesn't uh, you know publicize who got suspended for what in terms of drugs. Uh, New Jersey will tell you you know they'll send out a nice email afterwards saying who got a medical suspension and who needed you know uh, an X-ray or a CT scan or or what have you. But always it, it has to do with um, like the legal department in, in whatever department of state that your state you're talking about coming down you saying you know okay we have to observe it this fashion to insulate us from from you know legal liability uh, and you're right it's all HIPAA laws uh, so you know that's just how the policies play out in the various jurisdictions yeah yeah some states are are much easier to deal with usually you can just reach straight out to the executive director and they'll just give it to you you know if if it's if it's public record when when you report on a sport as long as we have we know the states that you know is is public and private record like Bellator for instance uh, they're at the Mohegan Sun and Mike Mazzulli, of course runs that commission I know the fact that medical suspensions are our uh, our public record now salaries are not and but uh, Mike does release the drug test results and you know typically you you know nine times out of ten you're going to get the the response of hey they either the general response is usually you know all the results came back clean or, or all came back negative but you do know if results start taking more than say two or three weeks to come back that's when you usually know something fishy might be up in the air and you start to kind of maybe more reach out to it. I mean, there's, there's been um, states where I know drug test results are private record, but then, I mean, you know this, I mean, MMA industry, everyone talks. And there have been times where I have found out about failed drug tests in a state where there is its private record, but because fighters and managers and people in the industry talk, you end up finding out about it. Right. Well, if you ever are curious after the fact and, and everyone is stonewalling, you're not telling you these athletic commissions report to mixedmartialarts.com. Yes. So you can just look and see if that fighter is under a suspension, you know, six months, a year, what have you. 
Yeah, I mean, one, one of the first, yeah, I mean, that, that's a great way to go about it for anyone who's trying to get in this industry. I mean, that, that usually kind of can kind of start leading the way. And then, then you start looking as, you know, the easiest way really to find out if medical suspensions are public record in a state is most of these state athletic commissions will post the official results on their website somewhere in a, in a PDF form. And if you see the medical suspensions listed there, then you can kind of start figuring out is it a little more, a little less. It's kind of, it's actually one of the ways I found out about Joe Warren's issues with the state of Texas last year. Um, you know, saw that uh, he had a medical suspension and, you know, kind of, you know, started doing some digging on it and uh, felt, felt bad for Joe because he was like a 10th over the, the, uh, the legal limit for marijuana which uh, mm-hmm. Texas was not uh, at the WADA code. They were uh, at 50 uh, milligrams, where the WADA code is 150 milligrams. It's, uh, it's still one of those things that, you know, obviously marijuana becomes a hot topic. And, and I know in, in talking to executive directors about this, you know, part of that, the problem with marijuana is, is with so many states now having, you know, medical marijuana. I mean, where I live in Florida, medical marijuana is on the ballot next week, and the expectations are, this is the second time it's been on the ballot, that it will pass next week. And, you know, then now the Florida State Boxing Commission is going to have to deal with, well, what happens if you have a guy who's got a medical marijuana card? You know, it's, you know, it, it becomes an issue. But, but I do know in talking to executive directors, they're, they're, when the thing they'll tell you about, about marijuana is you just don't want a guy walking into a, a cage or a ring on fight night that's, you know, stoned out of his mind. Yeah, exactly. It's always fighter safety is the issue. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. And, you know, and, and I know sometimes, you know, fighters and managers, they'll, they'll get mad about, you know, some of the things that maybe athletic commissions will will ask for. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's about fighter safety, and 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 I'm sure there'll probably be when when some of these uh you know fighters for UFC start checking in next week in New York. I'm sure you, you, we'll probably hear something privately about maybe they didn't like something the commission was asking for. Yeah, well, I, I think one thing we should uh, let people understand is that there's a big spotlight on the New York Commission. Uh, for this UFC event. This is what they've been working for. This was their deadline. But a UFC event comes with help. Mark Ratner uh, is part of the UFC's apparatus that helps these athletic commissions, you know, bolster themselves. Uh, You know, the nearest state athletic commission said, hey, we need some help. Mark provides them with a list of referees, list of judges they can pick and choose from, uh, you know, all sorts of staffing uh, help that they can get. So, you know, this spotlight will be on the, the, the athletic commission for the UFC event, but it won't be the real true test for the athletic commission. The real true test is the first show they do that where the UFC isn't there to help them, you know, to, to no, kind of tell point. them, okay, this is what you need to do. No, uh, so no. that, that could be the world series of fighting event. If it happens <laughs> in New Year's, New Year's <laughs> Eve, we could, you know, it could be a clown show with the athletic commission. I'm hoping it's not. I know that the athletic commission, you know, on a personnel level, they've, they've, you know, fired a lot of people, but they've hired, you know, some good people. They've hired as deputy commissioners, uh, some people that do know the sport and do know what they're doing. So uh, it's possible that, you know, maybe they don't have officers that know what they're doing, but they have non-commissioned officers, sergeants and corporals 
that do know. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, and it's a great point you mentioned there about the spotlight being on. And, you know, look, Mark Ratner's going to help him out. So, I mean, you're going to see the usual officials working these. You know, we're talking about the referees, <laughs> and you're talking about um, the judges. But, you know, it's just as important as that is, is, you know, who are the inspectors going to be? You know, it's it's one of those jobs that really doesn't get talked about. But, uh, you know, that's that's going to be kind of interesting to see. And, you know, and, and does this event run flawlessly or or is there those issues? I mean, that was kind of when, when this bill was legalized. That's why a lot of people were kind of saying there, there should be several shows before the UFC show in there just for them to get the kinks out. Yeah. No, yeah. Too bad it didn't play out like that. <laughs> yeah. I, it, yeah. It's it's unfortunate, you know, but, you know, it's. It, but for me, as a combat sports uh, enthusiast, there's there's so many concerns I have with it going forward. Is you know, especially I think on the boxing side of it, you know, what's it going to mean for boxing in New York? I mean, you hope there's some rule changes. Otherwise, I mean, are we going to even see any more big shows in New York? Uh, like I said, it's it's a wait and see thing, and it's possible. It'll be a very dry, you know, two years, uh, 2017, 2018, and maybe the athletic commission will soften its stance on how it's interpreting these things. I mean, there's the way the law is written, they could technically have pro MMA sanctioned by a third party organization and that would circumvent the million dollar policy. They chose not to interpret it like that, but they could reverse, you know, their interpretation at any point and say, Okay, the WKA can sanction these UFC events right now, or you know, WKA can can sanction a Ring of Combat or Cage Fury Fighting Championship. There is that legal room in the statute. It's just not being interpreted that way. Yeah, it's um, you know, I, I hope it. You know, I would love to see some of these smaller shows be be able to do it. I mean, look, you're gonna, I think you're gonna see a massive Bellator event come to um, New York City sometime. Probably, I would guess late first quarter, early second quarter. It wouldn't surprise me if that Fedor Emelianenko, uh, Matt Mitrione fight that, that is being targeted ends up you know headlining, saying, a Barclays um, show uh, for them. And, and I would imagine you would see uh, a bunch of other big fights. You know, and speaking of Bellator, got got asked a question from George uh, if, if I knew anything about the new CEO of Icon, if he's pro-MMA or not. Um, I haven't in Georgia. I have not heard whether he's pro MMA or not. You know, one one of the things I've said is I I truly do believe that. Uh, and I, and Jim, I don't know how much you follow what's going on with CBS and Viacom, but you know, if, if those two companies merge, which is is what I expect to happen, I believe it's going to be a huge benefit to Bellator. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe it could end up you know allowing them maybe um, to do some some premium content on Showtime. Um, also maybe do some network broadcasting on, on CBS because at the end of the day, network executives love sports programming. And one of the reasons they love it is it is essentially DVR proof for the most part, even though I don't know about you. I love watching them maybe a DVR because especially for FS one cards, man, you can fly through a lot of that filler content. Yeah. Yeah. I think DVR is essential. Um, but I think, uh, we're past the point where, like there was a time when we really needed to care if you know the boss at Showtime was into MMA. Uh, we needed to care about you know if the guy at CBS was into it. Um, but MMA has long since established itself as a viable sports property. I mean, 4.2 uh, 
billion dollars. Uh, that that goes a long way in you know letting these executives know, hey, there's an audience for this, and whether you like it or not, uh, it's it's viable, and there should be programming you know on it. And it's an so, audience that advertisers are looking for. It's at that yeah. male eighteen to forty nine, male twenty five to fifty four. That a lot of these key advertisers, that's who they're going for. I mean, you know, that's that's the market they're looking for. I mean, and obviously, when when the UFC sold for four point two billion dollars, I mean, obviously that woke us all up, and, and I think yeah. it ultimately woke up a lot of fighters to say, okay, we need to start taking this becoming a union much more serious. And, and I truly do believe that uh, within the next six to nine months, the PFA is going to come out and say we have enough signed union cards. I honestly couldn't speculate. Uh, it would be – I think that the way the market goes is these big shifts, like the $4.2 billion sale of the UFC, they resonate and create more shifts. So it will be interesting to see – how you know things change already we've seen a lot of fighters voice their displeasure at what they're getting paid and you know cross their arms you know fold their arms across their chest and say i'm not fighting anymore unless i get paid more so you're just you know, not gonna fight i mean it's, but i mean i mean is that the case are we gonna see you know wme like soften their stance take a different stance are we gonna see you know wme say okay fight for someone else and these fighters end up getting paid more from somewhere else um it's, it's really hard to to you know put your finger on stuff like that as a fighter you have to have leverage and i mean is there even five fighters that have leverage on wme right now outside of connor and ronda could you name three other fighters that actually would have leverage in contract negotiations well, here's the thing. There's a new kind. There's a new factor in this leverage equation, and that is, you know, star making ability. Now, two years ago, we all loved Nate Diaz, but Nate Diaz wasn't a star. Oh no. Now he's now he's a star, and WMA is going to need more stars. If Conor McGregor, the rumor is that he's, you know, going to take a year off. If he takes a year off, and you know, Ronda Rousey, who said today that on, on Ellen DeGeneres' Gener- show. That's you know she's she's you know in the home stretch in terms of her fight career. If 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 Connor is gone and Ronda is gone, WME is gonna you know have to make some more stars like they did, like like just how Nate Diaz was made a star. So I that's mean, a new point of leverage. Yeah, I mean you're talking about a year ago, Nate Diaz wasn't even fighting. I mean he he had just signed on to to fight uh. Michael Johnson there at the uh, the Fox show at the end of the year, but you know it, it's it, it's crazy to think about what he's come from. I mean, I personally believe that uh, Ronda will lose at UFC 207. I believe Amanda Nunez will beat her, and I think that's the last time we'll see Ronda Rousey uh, fight MMA. That would that would make me sad. Um, I don't think it's outside the realm of you know. Impossible, a possibility. I think it definitely could happen like that. It would make me sad if it did. I think, you know, not just women's MMA, but MMA in general owes, owes a debt to Ronda Rousey for mm-hmm. no, how she's helped elevate the sport. But yeah, it's it's a possibility, and, and it's a sad possibility. Yeah, you know, the thing about Ronda is, you know, when, when she was dominating division, she was just so far ahead. But what I think has truly happened over the last, um, you know. 13, 14 months or so is that the division's caught up to her. And the fact of she didn't really make any changes 
you know, in terms of what I felt she needed to make changes in, in terms of her coaching kind of, you know, does, doesn't give me a lot of optimism. I mean, look, I'm not saying that she can't win that fight. If she gets that, that fight to the ground and, and she can work that armbar, obviously she can win that fight. But I, I just, I think Amanda Nunez is a different type of fighter, and I think Amanda's going to win that fight. And, and But I, I think most likely, even if, if Ronda wins that fight, I think the UFC only maybe has one more fight with her. And obviously yeah. they'd want to make it Chris Cyborg, but I just don't think that fight ever happens. Yeah, that that's a, a tough fight to to try and sell to someone who has a problem with strikers. But, it, it's uh, it's unfor- you know it, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I'm somebody that I grew up as a boxing fan. You know, that was my introduction to combat sports. And you know, you think about you know for all the years we sat there, we're like, okay, is Mayweather Pacquiao going to happen? And it happens five years too late. But I just think we'll we'll never. You know, if if Ronda beats Amanda Nunez and then she ends up making a successful title defense against whoever, you know, and when there's that conversation of who is the greatest women mixed martial arts fighter, there's going to be people that are going to be clearly on the side of Ronda, but then there's going to be people that are definitely going to be on the side of, of Chris Cyborg. And, you know, I, I really wish that somehow that fight could happen because, A, it would be a huge moneymaker for both both fighters. A uh, huge moneymaker for WME because clearly they got to start taking off some debt off uh, the cost of the UFC. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah, it's it's hard to say if it's going to happen. And even if it doesn't, you know, I, I think Ronda's done enough in the cage. Uh, perhaps like the the more impact, the most impact she'll have on the sport right now is outside of the cage. I mean, the Paige Van Zant has done more for the sport, you know, competing on Dancing with the Stars then she has, you know, fighting in the cage. She's great in the cage. You know, she headlines shows. But I think she's reached more mainstream people, helped, mm-hmm. you know, increase the, the reach of the sport by, by being on this show on ABC. And obviously it's the reason why they put her in the main event of the December Fox show. Yeah. Yeah, and if, if that's the case with Ronda, if, if Ronda is going to be in a movie that's going to reach more people that normally wouldn't tune into her fights, and but they, you know, Part of the PR for the movie is, hey, this girl was the you know champ in the Ultra Fighting Championship, and that brings more people to the UFC. You know that that has value right there. I mean, it's sad to see Ronda go if that's the case, but if she's doing that and reaching more people, then it, it benefits the sport even more than her fighting. And every women's fighter in the UFC, you know, owes a debt of gratitude to to Ronda Rousey because without Ronda Rousey, women in MMA would not be. Uh, in the UFC, you know, it's kind of like, you know, some of the recent comments that Juliana Pena has made. It's like, Juliana, without Ronda Rousey, you wouldn't have a job in the UFC. You know, <laughs> it, it's I think sometimes people kind of forget about the pioneers. Yeah. And, yeah, that's just that's the nature of the beast, though. No, it, it is the nature of the beast. And I'll also say is if Juliana Pena maybe had a better showing in her last fight. Uh, you know, maybe she would be fighting for the title. At, you know, when you go out there and, you know, at the end of the day, this is the entertainment business. You know, and I can't tell you, I, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of fighters who are, are working their way up the regional scene. And, and the common thing that you hear from all these fighters will say is, look, I know I can't go out there and win by decision. That's not what the UFC and Bellator want to see. They want to see guys that go out there and get finishes because at the end of the day, this is, this is the entertainment business. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, with WME and, and marketability being like so much more of a factor in fighters careers. Um, 
I think we're going to see like a fighter bite off the head of a chicken after a fight and get a title shot because he got people talking. I think that's going to happen. I mean, look at Cody Garbrandt. He's talked his way into a title matchup. Yeah, good for him. I mean, Conor McGregor really showed. That's how you got to do it. And the most, the most, the biggest UFC fights of all time, two of them were between, you know, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. And, you know, that matchup totally confounds the rankings. The rankings are completely meaningless now. I'll tell you, the, the, here's a, a funny story about the, so the rematch was back in August. And that night, um, a lot of people know that I do work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Radio Network. So we were, we were playing in Jacksonville that night. So I, you know, game ends. Uh, I had, I had ordered the pay per view on my phone. You know, just watch it through the UFC app. And so we're we're sitting on the bus, uh, driving to the airport to to head back to Tampa. And there was about five of us sitting on the bus watching it all on my iPhone as we as we were sitting there watching. And, and the one thing that, and I'm sure you've had these these same experiences where, when you're around people that are not MMA fans, it's really easy to find out who are the true stars in this sport and Connor I mean I can't tell you how many times I've had you know people come and say hey when, when's Connor fighting next when's Connor fighting next and he and outside of Connor and Ronda those are the only two fighters I get asked about from non-MMA people yeah yeah and you know that really speaks to the to the you know the quandary that WME is going to have ahead of them in finding new stars making new superstars yeah, I mean, and and a lot of this is on the fighters too. You know, the fighters have to go out there, and, and they have to sell themselves. You know, this you have to, you know, it, it's kind of like you're selling a story at the end of the day, and you know that's what I thought Bellator when they did the tournaments. I thought they did a really good job. Is is they were selling stories, and, and they were getting you invested in fighters. And, and I think sometimes with with the UFC, because there's so many fights, I think it's hard to to get invested in fighters unless they give you a reason. And Connor has clearly given us a, a reason to be invested with him. But, of course, that is coming up uh, next Saturday night, UFC 205. Of course, live on pay-per-view, a four-hour pay-per-view starting at 10 p.m. in the East. Six fights on the main card. Uh, and, of course, uh, the TV premiums on FS1, of course, coming up this weekend, Friday. you got Bellator. 163 from the Mohegan Sun. Liam McGarry defends the light heavyweight title against Phil Davis. Also on Saturday, you have UFC Mexico fight night. Dos Anjos versus Ferguson from Mexico City. Uh, as, uh, of course, Rafael Dos Anjos, the former lightweight champion, takes on Tony Ferguson. Uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend, MMA. I'm sure, Jim, you're, you're looking forward to it as well. Uh, let all my listeners know where they can uh, follow you out on social media, where if they want to read your book and, and all the, that type of stuff. Uh, the best way to follow me is just follow me on Twitter. It's Jim underscore Genia. Uh, I, everything I do comes off of Twitter. So if they want to you know, find my book, they can just uh, Google my name. It's on Amazon and, or in um, Barnes & Noble. And, of course, you can listen to the MMA Insiders podcast exclusively on RadioInfluence.com. It's also available on iTunes and Stitcher. I have to do a search. The MMA Insiders, of course, also available on TuneIn Radio and SoundCloud. I'll be back next week. Uh, my guest, guest co-host on next week's show will be EJ Brooks, who has uh, fought in multiple organizations. We'll talk to him about some of the, the issues going on, going on with fighters in today's mixed martial arts game. And then the following episode, I'll be joined by Caleb Williams. He is a local, a regional fighter out of American Top Team. He's actually going to be fighting here in my hometown of Tampa, Florida, on November 
the 11th and uh, going to do a uh, sit-down interview with him and, and just basically talk about what it's like to be a regional fighter, the ups, the downs, the adversity you have to go through. So I hope you enjoy that. So let's go wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy, and former Bellator matchmaker Sam Kaplan. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl, or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think. When it comes to what you want, Radio Influence has you covered. Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com.